about a week ago, I got a chance to travel to Florida with my wife. What's the thing you do when you first get to the airport before you fly? You check your baggage. We were just talking this morning about freeing ourselves of distractions and freeing ourselves of worry and freeing ourselves of burden or even just anxiousness for what might be ahead today or what might be this week. I just invite you to check your baggage, even as we talk about soaring with the Lord. What do you do before you soar? Print your, print your bag tanks. Let's go. Lord, we just invite you to take our anxieties. We invite you to take our burdens. We invite you to take our distractions. Lord, would you forgive us for coming into your presence less than perfect, less than holy, less than focused. But right now, we, we give it to you, God. We lay it at your feet. We fix our eyes on you. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcomes of their ways of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, yes. today, Thank you, Jesus. and forever. This morning we worship to a God that never changes. And this morning we worship to a God that offers that same power and that same love, that same mercy that he did in the beginning of time. That same God and that same power that healed the blind man and the man with leprosy and Jairus' daughter, that same power exists today through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arms. Nothing is too hard for you. The word sovereign, soberano, the word sovereign, I've heard that word my whole life, and um, it just means he has ultimate power. And as our creator, as our father, he has the authority. He has the power and the words and the wisdom to learn or to believe, to do what he believes is best for, for us. So for me, 
the same way he told the woman in the well in what predicament she was in without her telling him. That same God used a stranger to come to me and tell me that he hears my cry for the salvation of my family. For me, he is faithful. For me, the same Lord that provided flour to the widow that Elijah went to, he has provided time and time again anything my family needs. Not everything we want. <laughs> everything my family needs yes. to make it through the day. Yes, And that same God that comforted um, Martha and Mary when Lazarus died. That same God that comforted me and my family this week as we lost two family members. That same God is here to comfort. And he used my brothers and sisters in Christ to remind me of Psalms. Psalms 55, 22, that says, cast your cares on the Lord. And he'll sustain you. He'll never let the righteous be shaken. And Romans 5, 3 to 5, that says, glory. He gives us glory in our suffering. And he, this suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And he doesn't. And hope is doesn't put us in shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He's the same God. Yes. Wisdom, I'll imagine. 
take some orchestration so gather your thoughts maybe you have a testimony maybe you have a need but the God of testimony yesterday is the same God in the midst of our needs today three years ago today I had no girlfriend <laughs> three years now later I have a wife and a child do any day yes. Hallelujah. Yeah. so if you are wanting to get married. God can do it again. He can do it again. I prayed for many years. And I'm not an eloquent dater. <laughs> it don't matter. <laughs> we got a testimony. <laughs> My son was born with double club feet. He had surgery Friday. And his Achilles tennis got stretched out. He stitched and cast put on. He'd be out of cast in three weeks. He's going to be able to walk. And I thank God for that every day. He's there every step of the way. Friend went through secondary tests and the secondary tests were negative. She has to do an MRI coming up, but it is a big relief. So. How about this? Sixty years ago, <laughs> I was discharged from the Navy. I thought it was about time I started looking for a wife. <laughs> <laughs> I went 
went into Emmanuel Baptist Church in Olympia, and the whole row was empty, so I sat in the middle, and these teenage girls kept filing in, and I kept moving down until I got pushed out on the other end. So I went in the next row back, and here was a sweet redhead girl sitting right in the middle. Well, I went, I went down there and sat down beside her. So now it's 57 years later, and I'll have to say, it hasn't been easy all the time, but we stuck it out. We're still going strong. talks about worshipers in spirit and in truth. You might also say that's worshipers who understand and who don't. You might also say that those are worshipers in faith and in testimony. Because while we find ourselves in those various positions, he is singular and he is the same. And so we can say, God, you are good and you are sovereign, even when I feel like everything's perfect and under control even when I think everything's out of control. Same God, different circumstances in our lives. God, we bring this all before you, testimony and need. Praise and prayer.
just to take a minute if we if we've got a journal or we've got a phone to take a note in or something but to just take a minute and jot down a note about what the Lord is saying to you what he's revealing to you how he's challenging you what he says to you concerning his disposition and his love towards you so in a real practical form whatever that looks like maybe you just need to ponder it in your heart like Mary did she found out she was going to give birth to the king of the world. Whatever it is right now, you feel free to pull out your phone and take a note or in a journal, something real practical. But I find I forget more than I remember. And a lot of times when the Lord gives me a word, it won't make sense in the moment. But I write it down anyways because it's going to make sense later. All right? The Lord gives us what we need. Sometimes he gives us it before we need it. And a lot of times I go back and I have a practice of rereading my journals from the previous weeks and months because sometimes I write stuff down, no idea what it means in the moment. But then I, I go back and read it and I'm like, oh, that's what that was for. Praise God, he knew what I needed and he's never late. So what is that from this time this morning? Just take a moment. Make note of that, however that is for you. to hear the cries of his children, that he can attend to them and bring the peace of God which transcends all understanding, which guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It's okay to sit in sorrow. It's okay to sit in suffering. We're not called to be there forever, but every time we go there, we're called to remember the hope. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. We know that, Jeremiah 29, 11. We would love to forget the context of which that prophetic word was given by Jeremiah to the exiled Hebrew people in Babylon. We would love to forget that that came in the most devastating moment in the history of a nation, the history of a people. Because of their own idolatry and brokenness, they were taken by God and put on timeout for the better part of the 70 years in a place that was not home. The home they had, according to the Lord, was destroyed in Jerusalem. And they sat by a river and wept. And Jeremiah came to them in their suffering and their grief. And he said, I know 
the plans I have for you. So we can sit in grief. That's an okay place to be. In fact, I think we would do better to be there more often so that we can feel the fullness of it because there's a temporary death that comes that leads to a more eternal kind of life. But we don't grieve without hope because hope is coming so we can anchor into hope and sit in the grief and be healthier people of Jesus because he did it. He died and rose to life and he says, do the same, follow me, pick up your cross and carry it. Yeah. Would this be a place now and always where we can come and just cry out to Jesus to show up in our hot mess or whatever it looks like when we get here and just be okay in his presence and be built up by the community around us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's give the Lord a hand. Thank you, Lord. You are gracious. You are good. You are compassionate. You are slow to anger, abounding in love. Jesus, we praise you today. Amen. 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 Paul says it to the church at Ephesus. I want us to become so familiar with this, and at the same time unfamiliar. I want us to know it so well that we operate our lives according to it as the gathered people of Jesus, but I don't want us to become so familiar with it that we forget what it says, that every time we return to the word, something new can come. Why? Because the word says that it is living and active, which means it's more than just a novel. It's more than just a historical account. It's more than just a collection of poetry. And wisdom. Never ending narrative. It's a never ending narrative. Until the end of days, he will always speak. Thank you, Jesus. He has the narrative. He is in control. His heart is in control. There is a God, man. There is a God. Thank and you. And he is in control. Yes. But it's his timing, and I know. It is a rough ride, man. It's a rough ride. It is, Ryan. And I'm glad you're here. Yeah. And I'm glad you're here. I'm trying. Yeah, he's meeting you there. This is the kind of lament that our Jesus calls for because he yes. meets us in it. He meets us in it. Yes. I want us to become so familiar but not too familiar when he says to his church, as a prisoner for the Lord then, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Skipping down to verse 11. In Philippians, sorry, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, So Christ gave him himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure the fullness of Christ. Yeah. So we're in this journey through our core values. We began the discussion about this last week what it means to have core beliefs, things that we hold in the depths of our hearts about the truth of who Jesus is. If you missed that message, it's available on our podcast. We explain it more there. But core beliefs that lead to core values. 
and core values that lead to core behaviors? When do we believe enough to die on a hill about it and do something to see change come about? What are those things that we believe enough to give our lives for? Jesus gave his life. What did he value? A reconciled relationship with his creation. That's what he valued. To the point where pain was of no consequence in the moment because love was greater than pain. The things that we're passionate about are the things that we pursue wholeheartedly. They're more than hobbies. Because we stop doing hobbies usually when they hurt. When we are passionate about something, it's the thing that we will commit ourselves to even when it hurts. And especially when it hurts. We want to be a congregation of people, the body of South Everett Foursquare Church, who are so committed to what we value that we live out of it, and our values are aligned with the gospel of Jesus. So we're talking through these things over the course of a few weeks. As disciples of Jesus, as growing leaders who are together on mission, we want to live lives worthy of the calling that we have received. That's what we want to do. That's what we aim to do together. And this idea of calling, the calling that we have received, that's something that takes some creative imagination to really consider at a greater depth. Because there's a generic calling. There's a calling that is consistent for each of us, that the Lord has said that we are to love God and to love people and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's for all of us. We all get to do that together. But then there's this thing that God created us to do. I believe it. Ephesians 2, 9 and 10 says that we were created to do for good works what God prepared for us in advance to do. How does that reside in our souls? That the God of all creation had enough imagination for each of us to say, you know what? This is what I'm calling Vanessa to do. This is what I'm calling John to do. This is what I'm calling Perry to do. This is what I'm calling Jay to do. And what Nancy is to do. And that God would have something for us that he, by his grace and his mercy, invites us to step into. And as we step into the thing that he's called us to do, it's not just for us, it's for everybody. It's the way that God calls us to make disciples and reflect his kingdom. This calling is forged. This is where it comes from. This is how we find it. It's forged from the greatest moments that we've experienced in life, and it's forged from the hardest moments of our life. It comes from both places. Think about the things that God is calling you to. Where did it come from? It came from the greatest moments where you're like, if I could just do this for the rest of my days, Jesus, to honor and glorify your name, I would do this. But we know that the growth comes through pain and repentance and lament in our hot mess when we cry out to God together and when we cry out to God in private. That's where the gritty stuff comes from. Right? Danessa shared about it already this morning. That suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. So from the highest moments, from the hardest moments, it comes when we realize in the highest and lowest moments 
that God works for the good in all things for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That's where this is forged, when we realize that it is the highest and the lowest that brings together and forges this calling because God uses all of it for good. What the Lord is doing in Ryan's life out in the courtyard right now is incredibly painful. Thank you for stewarding that moment with him in a place of incredible vulnerability and maybe a little bit of discomfort for him if not us. But God's using that. His story is still in process. The ups and the downs. This calling is forged in the places and with the people that have the greatest influence in our lives. That's where the calling is forged. Where have we been? Who have we been with? Both positively and negatively, God uses all of it for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The high moments, the low moments, the high places, the low places, all the relationships. He forges in us a calling. As it relates to calling, how do we know when we have most fully stepped into our identity as God's children and the things that he has for us? we got to figure that out. How do we know? If, if we are urged to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received, well, how do we know? This gets so much about following Jesus is real ethereal. It's just kind of this idea in a cloud up there somewhere, but at some point, Jesus came and put on flesh and walked around to show us how do we do that when we get out of bed in the morning? Between eating our breakfast and driving to work and coming home from work and going to soccer practice and having dinner and walking the dog and caring for our aging loved ones and going to bed again. Like there, there has to be a way to know if we are living the life that we've been called to live. For me, I know that moment comes when the people who are around me are getting a clearer picture of what it looks like to be a child of God and what it looks like for them to live that out. That's my call. God has put it on my life to help other people discover their calling and to step into it. I just love to do that. And so we want to share a testimony this morning. Uh, I want to invite a friend of mine, Nancy Sleeth. You all know Nancy, too. Nancy is someone who is stepping into her calling in pretty remarkable ways. And so um, she's just going to share a little bit about that for us this morning. But Nancy walked through a discipleship process with us called Unique in 2022. And I want you to tell us a little bit about where you were when you walked into that journey and where you feel like you are now. It's uh, so a little background, maybe, about myself. Um, so when I was a kid, I was pretty motivated, um, pretty ambitious, not the smartest in the class, but I would do anything I needed to to get that A. So if that meant tutors, if that meant staying up longer, whatever, I'd get that A. The other thing was I was pretty motivated as far as earning money. So as soon as people would be willing to pay me for jobs, I was right there because I needed my candy fund. <laughs> um, so very motivated through school. Um, education was pretty important to me, and um, I would say, um, if if they were to have a a subject in high school or uh, whatever that says the least likely to, I mean the the most likely to graduate from college, that would be me. Right. So that's kind of was the trajectory of my life. I always wanted to be a doctor. Um, actually, there was no other option. And and when I did get to college, eventually maybe. 
business, but doctor is still my goal. Anyway, so I got to college, and my freshman year in high school, I got really sick. Really, really sick. I had to drop out of college. I was bedridden for probably 18 months. Nobody could figure it out. I traveled all over the country, saw world-renowned physicians, and nobody could figure it out. I literally didn't know from morning to morning if I was going to wake up. So my life came to a complete stop. All my dreams about my future, my ambitions, who Nancy was in that moment, whether I was going to get married, everything stopped. My goal was to just survive. Um, eventually, I did find some help from the aspect of some therapies. Never found a diagnosis. I'm still sick to this day, but obviously, I can sort of function in life. And um, anyway, so I kind of went uh, through life. Chose not to go back to college um, because at that time, I was in my late 20s um, when I could sort of function again in society. And, I wanted to live a life, right? I didn't want to go back to school. At this point, I didn't even know what I wanted to do, right? The only thing I ever wanted to do was become a doctor, and I didn't want to do that anymore. They failed me. Um, so I decided to not go back to college, not get my degree, which is, again, not what Nancy was going to do in life. Um, but I really wanted to have a real job and to serve people, and so I became a massage therapist. So I've been a massage therapist for the last, I don't know, 20 some years. Um, so I became a massage therapist, got married, sort of was continuing on my life, but there was a big void. Something was missing. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. And um, years were going by, and I felt like there was something more for my life, but I didn't have a clue. And people kept saying, well, what are you interested in? What are you passionate about? And blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, nothing. <laughs> like, nothing. I, I, I can't step in a direction if I have no surely something. I'm like, no, nothing, right? I mean, I went to all kinds of spiritual classes, you know, um, finding your purpose and um, what are your spiritual gifts? And I took all these assessments and they all came out as sort of this watery, um, no, nothing's decisive. I'm kind of good at everything, but not really too good at anything. <laughs> and so I felt like I just wasn't enough of anything to be good at anything, right? So anyways, I was um, stuck, completely stuck. And for the last 10 to 15 years, that stuckness was getting more solidified all the time. And I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know where to go. And um, it was starting to affect, I'm usually a pretty positive person, even though I feel sick all the time. Um, I, I just couldn't go anywhere, and I was giving up. And um, a couple years ago, um, Chris was in my driveway. <laughs> And we were talking, and I said something. I haven't a clue what my purpose is. Not a clue. And then he got this funny little grin on his face, and I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. A couple months later, I get this invite. Jim and I got an invite saying, hey, how do you, want, how do you feel about joining Unique, right? I think it might be helpful for you. And I'm like, okay. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, great. Like, how do you say no to a pastor? <laughs> and I've done this all before, and I've gotten nowhere, so why would this one be any different, right? And I, I looked at Jim, and I said, okay, I'm going to do this, right? I'm going to do this. I'm scared to death, but what I'm scared about is that I'm not going to find an answer again. It's going to be another dead end. And I said, but here's the deal. I said, I'm going to go into this like it is 
my last chance. Like, I'm not ever going to get another chance. This is my only opportunity to ever figure it out, which is probably not accurate, but that was my mindset. And I said, Jim, if you're willing to partner alongside with me, because I don't know how this is going to look, um, um, I would appreciate it. So he agreed. So as I walked into uni, I have um, searched out the highest and the biggest diving board there is. Now, I'm not ready to go to the top yet, but I am on the stairs, right? And I've made a few increments up, and I'm excited to see what's on the top. I'm excited to look down at everybody. I'm excited to see what's on the other side of the fence. Um, I'm ready, and um, I'm scared, but I'm willing. Thank you for your vulnerability in sharing that. Can you talk a little bit about the specifics of what that diving board looks like, what you're stepping into, what the Lord is creating for you and in you uh, practically around your vocational change? Yeah. Um, so many of you probably already know this about me, that I ask a lot of questions, right? That's just who I am. I mean, it's like, I, I like I like thinking questions, so forgive me if you ever have a conversation with me, because that's just how I communicate. That is my language. That's my love language. <laughs> process and for Nancy stepping into this there's so much courage and so much coming from that which is really really wonderful um, if there's anyone in this space that feels a little bit stuck in their calling uh, what would you recommend that or what encouragement could you provide that, that Jesus would want to uh, give to them if they stepped into a, a process of a deeper understanding of identity and purpose I was really struggling with who my identity was when I went into this, right? My problem was, what I learned in this process, is my problem was is that I did not approve of the identity that God gave me, right? I did not approve of it. Um, I wanted to be all your identities, because all your identities were way better than the one that I felt like God gave me. At one point, Chris, uh, oh, we had an assignment, and we had to work on our core values, and we came back, and, and Chris said, how did it go? And I said, it actually went horrible. And he says, well, why? And I said, because of that very thing. I'm disappointed in the way God created me to be. And, um, and I said, and I'm grieving that, and I'm trying to figure out who I am, and, 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 and the beauty in, in that, and the beauty in this creation, and not all of your creations, right? And so I, I went away from that, and I, I thought about that for a long time. And my happy place, as silly as it sounds, is in my car in a grocery store parking lot. <laughs> so I sat for four hours, and I just thought about what my core values are. How did it show up in my whole life, right? What is my identity? Who did God make me to be? And, and I came up with that, right? I came up with those values, and I thought, Wow, this is who I am. This, I 
mean, I, there was four that I came up with, and usually in life, you know, you're like pretty confident about two, and one is sort of iffy, and you know, the next one you just, it's like the wrong words, right? And, and I came back to class, and Chris again asked, is anybody willing to share? And I said, yes, I am. I said, these are my core values. Like, this is, this is who God made me to be, and I said, this is Nancy. These are the main ingredients of what makes the recipe of Nancy. And this is what God created for me, right? And I, and I thought in that moment, you know, I kind of felt like God was sitting on the corner of the room. And he was smiling and winking and saying, you know what? You got it. You know, you can't live out your purpose. You cannot live out your purpose using other people's identities. But if you know your identity, if you know the key ingredients that makes the recipe of you, then you will quickly know and you will quickly realize that God has been revealing your purpose and your identity your entire life. The problem is, is that you've been poo-pooing it. You've been negating it. You've been not accepting it. But the reality is, God is faithful. And he, your purpose is there. You just have to realize it. Can we thank the NC again for coming and sharing Thank you for the courage it took to share that, the courage it takes to walk in it and walk through it. More and growing leaders together on mission. That is who God has created us to be. I think more and more that's the identity of this church in this season. Everything has a season. That's the thing the Lord revealed to me during the 21 days of prayer and fasting. It doesn't have to be like a way forever, and there's not necessarily one right way to do it. Or one right way to do it for your whole life. But in this season, what is God calling us to? Michael Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. We get this one life. And it's a resurrected life in Jesus. It's repurposed. It's reimagined. And God says, just step into it. You might not know what it looks like, but I will meet you in it. And help you understand that you have been created to do something in each season of your life, more uniquely, not better or worse, but more uniquely than anyone else. That's how we want to grow, as a congregation of people who are learning to step into that most completely and then help others step into what God has called them to do as well. In this community, Ephesians is the framework offered by the Spirit to the church that we might reflect the unity of Jesus that he prayed for in his body. Ephesians 4, about calling, gives us that framework. The world will know when you are unified, and you'll be unified when you understand your calling and what that looks like. And when the church is unified, we're living out our most effective and credible witness. And so that's, that's the ongoing work of why this matters. Why does the church need values? We have beliefs core beliefs that all the values are based off of, but our values help determine what we do with the limited time that we've been given by Jesus. So again, four, South River Foursquare has five core values. Zach will put these up. And as we've talked about, we're working on understanding how they align with the fivefold ministry of the church that's revealed to us in Ephesians chapter four. We just read that and talked about it. Sacred relationships, courageous belief, diverse unity, neighborhood and city, 
signs and wonders. We're looking at these core values just in accordance with the way that Ephesians 4 rolls out the fivefold ministry of the church. Last week we talked about apostolic ministry. For us, that looks like pursuing unity in the midst of diversity. This week we're going to talk about what could be most closely aligned with, and again, this is just our understanding of how we're working into these spaces together. This idea of what it means to be prophetic. We have a value called signs and wonders. Zach can put that up here too. Signs and wonders. South Everett Four Square Church. We believe that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to be the presence of Jesus with one another and in our surrounding communities. We have access to God through the shed blood of Jesus. We are commissioned by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have the freedom to use our time, talents, and material resources for the good of others unto God's glory. We believe that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is available today to bring spiritual, physical, relational, and emotional healing and resurrection. When we talk about signs and wonders, that's what we're talking about. And it's biblical. These words that we're seeking are scripture. We, we want to be grounded in God's word and everything and then just talk about our expression of it. And we know that God performed signs and wonders in the land of Egypt through Moses so that the Hebrew people would be set free. We know that God performed signs and wonders in the nation of Babylon through Daniel when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dreams in Daniel chapter 4. I'm not sure what was greater in that moment, that Daniel was able to interpret the, the dream or that the king of Babylon gave credit to the God of creation because Daniel interpreted his dream. That's a sign. That's a wonder. That's an amazing thing. The prophet Joel prophesied on the Lord's behalf about the day of Pentecost more than 500 years before the Spirit fell on the believers in Jerusalem. More than 500 years before that, the Spirit fell. Joel prophesied about it. And Joel said at that time, the Lord would show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Then Jesus talked about signs and wonders, but he talked about it as a little bit of a scolding to his people. You only believe in me because of what you see. These signs and wonders, but I want you to believe upon faith, which is a gift of the Spirit. Not just what on what you see, but what on you don't see. Believe on those things. Jesus talked of signs and wonders. And then Luke, as he recorded the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, all throughout we see the apostles performing signs and wonders in the name of Jesus, so that God's love might be on full display. So what is a sign? When we look at... The Greek, and we look at this word sign, it really is a marker. It says it's a marker on the life of a person, distinguishing them from another. A marker on the life of a person, distinguishing them from another, and indicating God's favor and authority upon them. So the one who would give the sign is the one, God would say, this is my, right? Moses, Daniel. Jesus, the apostles, Joel, this is, my, this, is, this, is my, this is my representative here. And he's going to bring a sign unto you to know so that you know that, he, that he's with me and, and he represents me. So that's a sign. What's a wonder? 
Wonder is a miracle that's performed really by anybody because we also see in Scripture that those not following Jesus performed wonders too, just not in his name. Jesus also warned about those false teachers who would bring signs and wonders. So it's not the gift, it's who gives the gift that matters. That's important because that requires discernment. Just because we see something miraculous does not mean it's from God. But when it is from God, it's always miraculous. So we have to discern, where is this coming from? Signs and wonders, when they are submitted to the person of Jesus, will always point to Jesus. That's how we know. If it's about me and my gift and my talent and me selling it, that's not the signs and wonders Jesus is talking about. When they're submitted to the person of Jesus, they will always point to Jesus, his power and his authority as they are demonstrated. That's what happens. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. This was from Jesus when he stood on a hill above Capernaum on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he said to those who listened, he said this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you might, they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Signs and wonders is our intentional demonstration and execution of the gifts of the Spirit so that people will stop and point at God. All this conversation about the gifts of the Spirit and the outpouring of the Spirit and how the gifts are given to the church by Christ and by the Spirit and by the Father is expressed all over the New Testament is so that when these gifts come to us, when they are alive in us and expressed through us, God gets the glory and the credit and people go, whoa, because they weren't expecting that. They weren't expecting it. The king of Babylon was not expecting Daniel to interpret his dream. But what happened when he did? He gave, he gave glory to the God and the people he was enslaving. Whoa. People raised from the dead? Sight returned to the blind? Prophetic words given? Words of knowledge? Words of wisdom? Whoa. This power is available to us because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's look at these gifts. Let's throw those up there. All the gifts. The 17 gifts of the Spirit expressed in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. Those are the gifts. Remember that God can use any gift at any time through any person. Even though we might have tendencies and leanings towards specific gifts. we got to be available because it's not our power. It's His power working through us. This is God's vision for his expressed church and culture. He wants to use these things. A friend of mine said, for someone to catch a vision for something, and what we're talking about catching a vision for is Jesus' plan for the church empowered by the Spirit. That's what we're trying to catch a vision for, is that we would look more and more like him in the unique way God has called us to look that way. But you've got to be able to see yourself in a vision to catch the vision that's true. 
If you don't see yourself in a vision, nah, that's not for me, that's for you guys. But you got to see yourself in part of a vision to catch the vision. Look at this list. This is the list. This is Jesus's list. This is the passion. This is the gifting. These are the tools. This is the framework he desires to use to see more people come to know him because of the unified church. Where do you see yourself in that, in this season? Where do you see yourself? Ask yourself, where do you see, where do I see myself in this? What gifts has the Lord given to me? What things can I step into? Is it exhorting people? Is it encouraging them? That's, my, that's one of my favorites, the gift of exhortation. Just coming along on your side people and helping them see what they don't see in themselves yet. Is it faith? Is it you're just taking steps? When the Erickson family moved to Casino Road or right thereabouts nine years ago into a place that wasn't where they thought they would be, but stepped in in faith. When the Norbies stepped in in faith, when the Laverne stepped in in faith, when the Einfelds moved to Philadelphia to minister in the streets of the city in faith. When Rachel moved to the United States in faith. When Ed stepped out in faith. There's a lot of faith gifts in this room, and I love that. Showing mercy, just being there for people when they're a hot mess. Teaching, do you have the gift of teaching? Do you want to make sure that people clearly understand the word of God? Is that it? What is it? Where do you see yourself in his vision? The last thing, the biggest failure could be for us would be that we would communicate something of a vision for South Everett Foursquare Church and it wasn't a reflection of the vision that Jesus had for his church. That's a failure. So with everything in us, we are working to build a vision of how God would use us in this community that is completely aligned with his word to the best of our ability and all of his ability, which is really the better place to be. But these are the gifts. We know that God gives good gifts. We also know that the kingdom of heaven is about relationships before it's about resource. Did you catch that? The kingdom of heaven is about relationships before it is about resource. On the same hill where Jesus spoke about the light which would shine forth from our lives, he talked about the things people were worried about. See, got all these people together, and they're worried about stuff, right? People, don't we worry about our stuff, how much stuff we have? And Jesus said to them, don't worry about your stuff. Uh, you get so consumed with your stuff. I'll take care of the stuff. That's my paraphrase of Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom and his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, the clothing, the food, the beverages, all of that will come as well. But seek first the kingdom and seek First, the king. Seek the king, and everything else will come from it. We seek first the kingdom when we take time to turn the noise down. That's what Danessa and Chris and Chris and Mark and Ethan and others so beautifully lead us into is a point, a chance to just press pause. And reflect and give praise and adoration to our king because he wants a relationship with us more than anything else. Now, that's where it starts, seeking the kingdom. We turn the noise down. It's when we bring our full selves into the full presence of God. 
and sob on the floor in the back of the room. What a gracious expression, a tangible expression of what it means to bring our full, messy, dysfunctional self. I respect men and women with that much courage. A lot. That's what it is. We seek God by confessing to him in our hearts what we believe about him. And so while we've reviewed this list of 17 gifts that you see behind me about the spirit, there's three that just kind of pop out in my mind. If we could go back real quick and then we'll get to that slide. When I think about signs and wonders, I think about miracles and prophecy and word of knowledge. The, to me, in my mind, this is just me. This is my own reflection. That's the whoa stuff in my mind. The signs and the wonders. The thing that attracts people's attention because it doesn't happen all the time. Words of knowledge. When you say something and you, you share something with someone that you have no business knowing, like you read their mail, like, hey, I know your mom is sick, or hey, I know you just lost your job, or hey, I know that you're in this... And, and we just say, God's with you in it. It's not weird. It's not spooky. It's just, how'd you know that? Well, the Lord revealed that to me. That's a woe moment for me, like a woe. When I think about prophecy and speaking a word of God to someone that, again, you might not know or might be of a prophetic time to come. That's a woe moment, especially when that stuff comes to pass hundreds and hundreds of years later. How'd they know that? There must be a God. That didn't just happen so frequently. And then gifts of healing. When people are healed, and God forgive me, I'm still surprised when he does it. Because <laughs> I'm not expecting it as much as I could be. Right? That's an area of growth for me. Miracles, in my mind, are often associated with healing, and it's the spirit fills disciples of Jesus, we believe that the gifts are poured out to the believers. Not just at Pentecost, but today also. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We believe that the gifts that were made available at Pentecost are still available to us today. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, charity. We're talking about a charity issue right now. There are believers in Jesus who we will worship with in heaven who believe in the doctrine of cessation. It's just the idea that the gifts as we see them, the gifts of healing, the gifts of speaking in tongues, the gift of prophecy, that kind of closed up with a nice, nice bow at the end of the apostolic age. So when the early church was set and going, those gifts are just, we're done now. We don't have that. We have God's word. We have prayer. But we don't have healing. We don't have prophecy. We don't have speaking in tongues. Those are non-essentials. Those are not things that would divide us in the kingdom of heaven. They're just different understandings. But we, as the Pentecostal church, you know, we talk about Pentecostals all the time, right? Evangelicals, right? All the, they're people that believe in the gifts that they're still active today. And we believe that they are, and I believe that they are, because I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. Enough that makes me believe that this is still happening. It's still happening. The Lord is our great physician. He forgives our sins and heals our diseases. Psalm 103. Justin. I'm sorry, but I witnessed it out there with Grace and Dan with that young man. Grace was speaking and praying in tones over him. I was doing that. Dan had words for him. And God is moving in that young man. I don't know how or 
how much whatever he's doing, but he's working in him. He's fighting and he's struggling to accept it, but God is his power is working in that young man. And I'm back here losing it because I'm witnessing that. Because he's working out there in that young man. And I hope he comes back next Sunday. Mm -hmm. The Sunday after that. Mm -hmm. And both Sundays after that. And he continues to walk on that journey because it's a lifelong journey, right? We can all testify to that. Yeah, and that's why the Lord put us here. The truth is, we have this great physician. The other truth is, we already have our healing. We already have it. And there's a tension. There's a kingdom tension that exists here. It was established when Jesus went to the cross. Our healing was established when Jesus went to the cross. Defeated sin and was resurrected. It resurrected. It is secured for us upon the confession of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It was established on the cross. It was secured upon our confession. So we have our healing. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who understand that our greatest poverty is a spiritual one. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That makes us the same. It makes us the same. And when I think of healing... I think of healing in four specific spaces. Jesus and healing. I think about physical healing, emotional healing, relational healing, and and spiritual healing. And the reason spiritual healing is at the bottom is because it's the foundation. Because all of it is spiritual. Right? All of it is spiritual in nature. Hey, Chris, can I point out something? I just read Mark 5 in my devotions. But I see it in every one of these stories. There's the the relational moment where God's power intersects with one person. But then when you look at the purpose of it, in Mark 5, that person goes and tells the testimony to ten cities. Think of what Peter did and Paul did. The woman caught in adultery, her entire village came to believe. It's not just about God's power intersecting with one life. It's then that testimony transforming an entire city. So when John Fleming gets healed, let's tell the story. And when Ed's ears are restored, let's tell the story. Roger. I've had Crohn's for... Oh, probably 11, 12 years. And I got the results back this week. And I shared it with the men in our men's group. And there's no signs of Crohn's. I, I talked to my sister about it. And she goes, well, Roger, isn't that an autoimmune disease? Well, yeah. <laughs> Is that supposed to be able to be healed? Well, I don't know. (laughs) I guess it is supposed to be healed. (laughs) God is God of healing. When we think about healing, and thank you for that, there's this tension that exists between the suffering and the healing. Because there's this question that we got, well, why doesn't God heal at all? Does God love Roger more than me? No? 
because there's, this is so important to understand as we think about the theology of healing. We have our healing. We have our eternal healing. God can be glorified through our suffering and through our deliverance from physical suffering. But he will be glorified in either space. And oftentimes the greater testimony comes when we praise God in the midst of the pain. I will praise him. Brian Holmes got his surgery on Tuesday. He is home, recovering. The surgery went well. I was with Brian at the hospital, Providence, on Wednesday. Because they went in to fuse his neck through the right side of the front of his neck, he was having a hard time swallowing. To the point of like every, every gulp, every swallow, he would take his body just, you know, because it hurts so bad. And we got through all that pain and suffering, and he went, God is good. God is glorified in the suffering and the deliverance from suffering. Both. Yeah. So if you're in suffering because you're waiting for healing, honor God in the suffering. When you get the deliverance, don't forget that he gave it to you, and honor God in the deliverance. Both are important. But it's all spiritual. Spiritual at its base. Spiritual brokenness is the root of physical, emotional, and relational brokenness. This is our last thing. How does that play out? In the garden, everything went from perfect to not perfect really fast. And what were the consequences of spiritual brokenness? Physical brokenness was the immediate sign. Adam and Eve didn't have a death date until they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Spiritual brokenness. Adam, Eve, and everyone who comes, your days will be numbered. You will die. That wasn't a thing until you're going to die. Emotional brokenness. That came too because it says that in the garden they were naked. And at first they felt no shame. But then they were naked and they felt shame. And they, they covered themselves because they were ashamed. Spiritual brokenness. Physical brokenness. That's emotional brokenness. Talk about a relational brokenness. They got asked to leave the garden. And then one of their sons would murder the other. Physical, emotional, relational brokenness sits on top of a spiritual brokenness. We got our spiritual healing. Amen? So we can glorify God in the suffering and in the deliverance. That is a theology of healing that makes sense according to God's word. It's how we endure. So what we're going to do, Chris is going to come. And he's just going to play. And we believe in signs and wonders and we're seeing it. We're seeing it. We want to keep contending for it. So if what we're going to do is just gather with two or three people, we're going to stand up. This isn't even a sit down and discuss. It's a stand up in a group of three or four. And if anybody has a need for a physical healing, an emotional healing, a relational healing, that's all part of a spiritual healing, we're going to pray for each other and trust that the same God who is delivering Roger and delivering Ryan and anyone else that is being delivered would also be delivered from whatever ails us because the Lord says to cast our burdens upon us because he cares for us. So we're going to take the last few minutes. Chris is just going to pray, play, and we're going to stand and pray and contend for healing in the name of Jesus because we value what he has for us in that space. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, as we stand to our feet, as we find two or three around us, you are there in our midst. God, we ask that the gift of healing would be poured out upon your church today. You've had this day in mind for a long time. God, I pray for courage in the lives of those 
who might share, might ask for healing. It might be a hard ask because they've been asking for a long time, but we keep contending. And Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength and the grace and the courage to glorify you in the suffering and in the deliverance. In Jesus' name we pray. Come together, find groups of two or three, and just pray for each other, church.